All right. Um, so you guys have been in the book of Colossians this summer and worked your way through that, wrapped that up last week. We are going to pick up with like something that's deeply connected to the book of Colossians. We're going to do the book of Philemon, okay? And they are very connected. A Bible scholar by the name of Gordon Fee was once asked, if you could only have two Bible books, which would they be? And Gordon Fee answered, probably with books that you might not choose. He answered with, I would take Galatians and Philemon. And Galatians, we could at least say, well, there's enough stuff in there that I could see where that might be useful, although that might not be my top choice. Philemon? Like, why Philemon? And my guess is that the majority of you out there are like, Philemon? There's a book in the Bible called Philemon. Or, oh yeah, I remember that book. I haven't read that in I don't know how long, right? Like, Philemon's not like at the top of everyone's list is, that's one of my top favorite Bible books, is it? Um, We don't usually think of it that way, but here's this Bible scholar saying, if I could only have two, I want Philemon. So what does he know that we don't know? What does he know that we don't know that makes him say, I want Philemon as one of the only two Bible books I can have. And so today, I want to help us answer that question. What does he know that we don't know? And if you, you'll hang in there today and we work through this little book of Philemon, I promise you that, that there will be insight for you in the way you handle your relationships, the way you handle any positions of influence and power you have, all right? And so we're going to jump in and we're going to do, we're going to do some things a little bit different today too. So, um, you know, every, every letter whether it's a text message, whether it's an email correspondence, or anything like that, every letter has a backstory, true? Colossians had a backstory. Philemon has a backstory. So I want to first start by setting up that backstory so that we understand what we're getting into so we can hear the insight that this letter has for us. And just to kind of set that up, the reason we're doing Philemon today in connection with Colossians is they were written at the exact same time. The Apostle Paul's in prison, and he's writing letters. And they're not only written at the same time, they're written to the same church. Uh, The church of Colossians and the letter to Philemon go together because they're written to the same same group of people, the same church. Um, And they're they're delivered by the same person, a guy by the name of Tychicus. Uh, So, you know, if you have a boy one of these days, name him Tychicus, right? Like he was the mailman for Colossians and Philemon. And so they're delivered at the same time. In fact, if you know the backstory to Philemon, then you know that last week when chapter 4 of Colossians was read to us as a church, you know that there's a name in, in the end of Colossians that would have given you a start, that would have been like shocking to you as you listen to Tychicus stand before you as the church at Colossae and read you the letter of Colossians. Like, you would have been like, you're kidding me. All right? So I want to read the little bit at the end of Colossians just to set up where we're going today. So let's, let's read Colossians chapter 4. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Remember, he's the mailman. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, And that uh, he may encourage your hearts. And along with him, Onesimus. And if you're sitting there in the Colossian church and Onesimus' name is mentioned, all of a sudden, the room gets quiet. People are looking around the room. You're like, whoo, Onesimus, really? Along with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, who's one of your people, who's from among you. They will tell you of everything that's happened here. 
where he is in prison. Now, um, like I said, there's a backstory to Philemon, and we have to know that in order to make sense out of this, all right? So here's how Colossians and Philemon go together, and here's the backstory to, uh, to Philemon. Um, the Philemon is a wealthy landowner in the city of Colossae. It is his house in which the Colossian church meets. He's one of the wealthy people who has a big enough house where a group of 40 or 50 people can gather to do church. And so they're meeting at Philemon's house. Um, And uh, Philemon has a slave by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus, his slave, has run away. So Philemon is a slave owner in Colossae, Um, And one of his slaves, Onesimus, has run away. Now, we don't know exactly why Onesimus ran away, but somehow in running away, he went all the way to where Paul was. We don't know exactly where Paul is, probably Rome. Uh, He went to where Paul was and somehow kind of encountered Paul. Now, scholars guess as to how did that happen, why did that go about. My suspicion is personally, um, because of Roman law, I think Onesimus went looking for Paul. Because Roman law had a provision, if a slave felt like he was being treated unjustly by his master, he could find somebody who was, had higher status than his master and to try to intercede on his behalf. So my guess is that, that the reason Onesimus and Paul connected is because Onesimus went looking for Paul and had heard stories and knew that Paul had some sort of leverage or authority over Philemon, his, his slave owner, which would suggest that Philemon hadn't been treating Onesimus very well, right? which is a problem. Which also explains why in Colossians there's more instructions about slaves and slave masters than in most other letters. But that's beside the point. Any case, any case, Onesimus connects with Paul. And while he's there, Paul realizes, man, we got a real issue here. But the biggest issue, Onesimus, is your own heart and soul before God. So Paul leads Onesimus to Jesus, and Onesimus becomes a Christian from Paul while Paul's in prison. Well, now they have a problem. What do we do with Onesimus? And what do we do with Philemon? And what do we do with their situation? Like, legally, Paul can't keep Onesimus. If he does, he's harboring a runaway slave. That just, you know, amplifies the charges against him, and he's already in prison. That's not going to go well, right? Besides that, Paul's already taught people that you got to obey the government. So now what do we do? Yeah, we're Christians, and now you're a Christian. Philemon's a Christian. And apparently, there are some issues here, so we got to sort this out. And so Onesimus... And Paul come up with a really high-risk strategy to try to embody the gospel in this messy situation. So here's where I want to do some things different today. Um, I need two volunteers who are willing to play the parts of Onesimus and Philemon, all right? So I need a couple volunteers. Don't have to do anything except, you know, stand here and look, uh, look handsome or pretty or whatever else you need to do. So who wants, who wants to be a runaway slave? Okay. Thank you, thank you. Come on up here. You, you can come right up on stage. You can be my, you can be Onesimus. He looks like a runaway slave, doesn't he? <clears throat> and who wants to be the slave owner? Philemon. Oh, please, somebody, you know. All right, very good. <clears throat> All right. You could stand down here right in front, and you can wear your little Philemon sign. Okay, very good. So, this is Philemon, slave owner, wealthy landowner, church meets in his house. Okay, Philemon. This is Onesimus. And you're the church at Colossae. 
okay? So we're the Colossian church. We're probably a little bigger than they were, but this is the church at Colossae. I'll be Tychicus. I'm the mailman, which is going to read you this letter, okay? Um, let's choose this section over here. You guys, you guys are some other slaves who happen to be coming to church. Some may be believers, some may be unbelievers, but your, your slave owners go to church, and so you're going to come. So you guys over here are some slaves, okay? Let's see. We'll make you guys some of the slave owners that own these slaves over here, okay? So you guys got to be some slave owners. The rest of you are the church. Okay, you're going to go to the slave side. I, that's good, identify with your people. I'm going to read you this letter, okay, the letter of Philemon. And what I want you to do is I want you as slaves to imagine what, what are some of your reactions and your thoughts as you hear what Paul writes about Onesimus, Philemon, in this issue? And for you who are slave owners, what are some of your reactions, your thoughts, and your feelings, okay, as we read this letter? All right, so you ready? Let's read. Let's read the letter to Philemon, all right? Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that's in your house, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that's in us for the sake of Jesus. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my beloved brother, because uh, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, which is like sending my very own heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf in my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be not of compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as just a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, even as a beloved brother especially to me, but now much more to you, both as part of your household and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'll repay it to say nothing of the fact that you owe me your very life. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I say. At the same time, I prepare, or at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will graciously be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with the spirit of you all. And that's the letter to Philemon. Now, while we have our volunteers kindly standing here, what are some of your reactions from the various groups in the room? If you're thinking about it, what do you, what do you hear? What do you feel? What are you thinking? Maybe as a, a slave over here, what do, you, 
What, do you, what are some of your reactions? Any thoughts, reactions as you hear this letter? What was that? Yay? Yeah, you're excited, right? Like, oh, right. standing up for the little guys, little guys, right? Like standing up for us. Any other reactions? Shock? In, in what way, Lily? Okay, yeah, that someone with so much power would consider, like, there's a sense of dignity in that even, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Anything else from the slaves? What's that? Support. Support. Yeah, you feel like you're, you're supported, like, okay, I'm, I'm noticed, I, I've cared for, I'm valued, all right? Okay, come back to that in a second. What about from our slave owners? What do you hear? This is a real problem, right? Like, Wait, like if, if Philemon does this, what's the implications for the rest of us slave owners in town? You're losing a massive investment. Yeah. We have a hard time appreciating it. All right, now, Greco-Roman slavery was different than the American experience of slavery. American slavery was purely race-based. Greco-Roman slavery was an equal opportunity venture. All right. You could become a slave for a variety of reasons. You could have been a wealthy nobleman, but you have been now captured in war, and now all of a sudden you become someone's slave, right? Um, or you could have just got in debt. There was no Chapter 11, so you had to work off your debts. And so now, right, so you could become a slave for a lot of reasons, okay? Uh, s- slavery in the ancient world was so widespread and so common that it was like, it was like electricity. Like, oh, we're going to be done with electricity. We think it's bad for you. We, can, we can't conceive of that right? Same with slavery. Like, how do we get rid of that? It was just that widespread. So now, I, what are you saying, Paul? Like, I have to release my slaves? Do I have to free them? Well, wait a second. How do I get all the work done? I mean, I, I can't get rid of my electricity. Like, how do I get all my work done, right? So we got that issue. That's a big issue for us, right? What else? Any other reactions from you slave owners? Okay, yeah, how can a, fl- a slave be like family relations, like a brother, like a son to me, right? Like, how does that work? A slave be family? Okay, good, what else? Other reactions from our slave owners? Okay. Okay, so there's a sense of sort of respect for Paul. and Yeah. Okay, okay. Now from the rest of the church, any other reactions? Anything else that just kind of jumped in your mind as you listened to that, that letter? Anything at all? What was that? Go Paul. I like this guy. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very personal letter. Yeah. Why, yeah, and that is interesting because it's a very, we'll have to wrestle with this a little bit. It's a very personal letter written between really, it's, it's addressing Philemon, but the end is a, a plural you. May the, so he's expecting it to be read to the whole church. The grace uh, of the Lord Jesus be with the spirit of you all. Is the way, that's why I read it that way so you could hear that it's a plural in Greek. It's, he's expecting this letter to be read for the whole church. Why is that? So that, what, wow, why a personal letter being read to the whole church? It's an important question. All right, thank you, Philemon. Thank you, Onesimus. You did very well. <clears throat> That's your, your hard work. Um, by the way, Onesimus and Philemon, did you have any reactions as you stood there? Well, I, I've always thought it was, I've always found it tough 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he's willing to use a few persuasive tools here, you know, right? Yeah, this is persuasion. This isn't just a, Paul is trying to persuade Philemon to do something, and he'll use whatever rhetorical strategies he can to do that. Philemon, did you have any thoughts as you stood there? Yeah, that's a pretty strong line. Like, receive him as you would receive me, particularly in a culture like theirs, all right? Now, <clears throat> what I want to do then is as we think about this letter and we wrestle with all of this stuff, we really need to make sure we keep trying to put ourselves in their shoes, right, and hear it in their shoes. And so we've got to make sure we're thinking like the church at Colossae and, and their culture and in their world where, I mean, you know, I think our first reaction is, why doesn't Paul just, you know, out and out tell him to, to free, not only Onesimus, free all the slaves? That's sort of our initial reaction. But it's like, one, that is practically impossible. Like 20 to 25% of the Roman Empire at any given time were slaves. And sometimes being a non-slave and poor was worse than being a slave. In their culture, like if you were a freedman and you had no job, you couldn't really just get a job. And if you did, it was a, you know, a, a very menial job and you couldn't put food on the table for your family. So sometimes you would even have slaves who, who had been freed but volunteered to still work for their master because life was better with him than on their own. So practically speaking, just, right, it didn't make sense. But then, like missionally speaking, for the church, freeing all the slaves... Is a huge risk there, too, because it's like, well, one, we, if we start doing that missionally, how is that going to work? Missionally speaking, free all the slaves, you're going to have the entire society up in arms against us. It's, so, and, then, and then just, we know from American experience, you can issue an emancipation proclamation, and it doesn't solve all the relational issues, does it? That's why we still hear talk about racism and all that in our own country today. That's why 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, we're still having race riots in the South in America. Right? Like, so just issuing a global decree right, doesn't solve the problems. There's deeper issues than that. And so Paul does something that I think in this letter is so incredibly wise and so incredibly powerful if we'll listen to what he actually says. So I want to just read back down through some of the chunks of the letter. We'll put them up on the screen so that um, we can actually hear, maybe make sure we're hearing clearly what Paul is saying. So we'll work down through this letter just a little bit, hit some of these chunks, just kind of reflect on some things, and then we'll, we'll draw out some implications for us today. Okay? So listen, Paul, beginning in verse 8, says, Accordingly, even though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, to do what is right, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Just think about this. Here's Paul, the apostle, planting churches all, right? Like, he's been a church planter. The church in their town is the result of his ministry. Even though he hasn't been there, Epaphras was what is And it sounds like, from some of the other things, that Paul might even be responsible for Philemon's own conversion. You owe me your very life, right? Like, so Paul has all this authority. He has all this power. And yet, he's not just going to tell Philemon what to do. Here's what you need to, how you need to treat Onesimus. I would rather ask. And appeal and persuade. Think about that for your use of power. 
wherever you have power, wherever you have influence, wherever you have authority, think about what Paul is doing. He's asking. He's appealing. Why is he doing that? Look what he says. He says, I appeal to you. I, Paul. And even, you know, a little bit of who he is, an old man, and now in prison for the sake of Jesus. Like, I've been at this a while. The body doesn't work right. Things hurt. I'm now in prison. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and me, which is a play on Onesimus's name. Onesimus means useful. He ran away and wasn't useful at all. Maybe while he was working, he wasn't a very good worker, so he didn't live up to his name. He wasn't useful, but he was useless. But now he's useful again to you. So plan his name. And look at the reason Paul appeals to him. Next slide. Paul appeals to Philemon by saying, I'm sending him back to you, which is sitting in my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I'm appealing to you. Here's what I really would like. I could really use someone like Onesimus to help me out while I'm in prison because, you know, I I can't do much on my own. So he could be really useful to me. He could actually be your representative. Man, it would have been great. I could have just sent a letter and just said, um, hey, your slave, Onesimus, he ran away. Somehow we got together. Guess what? He's become a Christian now. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. I'm keeping him here. And why don't you just think of it as he's your representative. How does that sound? Right? But Paul says, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that because I wanted, I wanted whatever good deed you do to be from your own choice, from your own goodwill, so that you're choosing it. Uh, Again, think about that. Paul is using his power to persuade, not to force someone to do the right thing. He wants them to choose it. Why? Because he knows that chosen good deeds form character, and forced good deeds don't. And Paul is far more interested in shaping God's people's character than just forcing them to do the right thing. He wants you, he wants us, he wants Philemon to become people who routinely do what's right, who routinely think in the right ways, who have a heart that's good and a mind that's wise so we routinely do what's good. And he knows, we're not going to get there if I just keep telling you and forcing you to do the right thing. You need to choose it. You need to choose it. So I'm appealing to you to choose it. Next one. Next slide. He keeps going on to this letter and he says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. And Paul has just dropped a new way of thinking about about Onesimus in the middle of the church and in the middle of Philemon's heart and mind. I want you to think of him not as a slave, but as a brother. He's family. He's family now. In other words, I'm using my authority to get you to use your authority in a different way to relate to Onesimus. Now think about that. Look, if all the slave owners start treating all their slaves as family, then the the legal status really doesn't matter, does it? Because they will be treated right by these people who have power and authority. True? And so... The, the slavery institution will be subverted by a new way of treating each other and a new way of acting. And historically, we know that's exactly what happened. 
within about 250 years after this letter was written, slavery was outlawed in the Roman Empire because of the influence of Christians. As Christians began to treat their slaves like brothers and sisters, like family. And it changed it from the inside out rather than trying to change it from the outside in, which almost never works. And so Paul appeals to say, I want you to think of him as family, like a brother. Keep going as we read through this. So Paul says, if you consider me a partner, if you consider me a a sharer in your work, your ministry, your life, if you consider me a partner, receive, and here is the only specific thing Paul asked Philemon to do, receive him, Onesimus, as you would receive me. Receive him as you would receive me. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Now, again, this is an honor and shame culture where status matters. Here's a runaway slave, a runaway slave who legally, Philemon, you know, he can, he can beat, he can whip, right? He can do a lot of really harsh, brutal things to him. Justifiably, legally, he can do that. And Paul's saying, but I don't want you to do that. I want... When you, when you look at Onesimus, I want you to respond to him and treat him the exact same way you would, you would respond to me. And in an honor and shame culture where status matters and your superior walks into the room, how do you greet him? With affection, with warmth, with signs of respect, right? Um, you, you, you kiss him on the cheek, you bow a little lower, right? That's the way it works in these cultures. And Paul is saying to Philemon, I want you to treat Onesimus just like you would treat me. I don't want it just to be feelings. I don't want it to be words. It needs to show up in your behavior and the way you welcome him. Welcome him just as you would welcome me. And then he says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, if he stole some money to make this trip, right? You've been out of four months' work, six months' work from this guy. Whatever debts he has left to you, just charge that to me. Put that on my tab. Now, Paul's in prison and he can't work and he has no money. Right? He, he, I mean, he has nothing physically to pay him back with. Just put that on my tab. I'll take care of it. You know, let me mention at least that you owe your very self, your very life to me. Right? Again, Paul's trying to, to reframe, rewire, reshape how Philemon and the other slave owners listening in think about their slaves and think about their authority, and think about their power, and think about their relationship. Yes, brother, I would love some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. At the beginning of the letter, Paul says, you've refreshed the hearts of the saints. Do that for me. Do that for me by, by treating Onesimus like a dear brother in the Lord. Next one. <clears throat> Paul says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I say. I've asked you to welcome him like you would welcome me. Standing there in front of the church, the way you respond to him in, in, you know, in the hallway afterwards, the way you treat him publicly in front of everyone else, I want you to do it like me, and I'm confident you'll do even more than that. We're left to infer, what does he mean by that? What else does he want him to do? Send him back to Paul to be that servant on Paul's behalf in his imprisonment? Maybe. Set him free? Maybe. Who knows? We don't really know. But Paul just says, I know. I know you'll do even more than that. I, I believe in you, and I'm confident you'll do even more than that. And then he says, uh, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me because I'm hoping through your prayers I'll, I'll be able to come and visit you. I'll check up on you, see how that relationship is going. I'll make sure you do, you know, you're treating him well. I'll be there as soon as I can, Lord willing, and I'll check up on you. 
And then from there, he signs off. And that's, that's the letter to Philemon. Now, as, as Michelle pointed out, why, why such a personal letter addressed to, you know, for the whole church? Why, why a personal letter between a slave owner named Philemon and his runaway slave named Onesimus? Why is that in your Bible? Why do you have this personal letter in your Bible? Why did, why did the church think this was good for the whole church to hear? Well, you see, contrary to American individualism, you're not purely an individual. And the things you do don't just affect you. The choices you make don't just affect you, or even just you and those like immediately closest to you. The choices we make have a, a collective effect on the group of people we're a part of. And we all know this is true. Right? Like, uh, extended family affects what happens in your family, right? Uh, generations can affect down the line through generations. Our choices have a ripple effect that are far bigger than us as individuals. And as a church, it's not just, please hear this, it's not just about your personal relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not individual. Your relationship with Jesus is personal, but it's not individual. And the choices you make as a Christian have an impact on, an effect on the kind of people you become as Hill City Church. So who are you going to be as Hill City Church, right? That's why Paul wants it in... You know, the whole church to hear it, that's why it's in your Bible. Because the gospel is so broad that it's for churches. And it's so specific, it's for you. And you're going to have to figure out how to work it out in your own relationships, in your own choices, in your own household, in your own family, in your own responsibilities. How are you going to live the gospel out right where you live in such a way that it flushes out Jesus and the gospel to the world all around you so that it forms God's people? To be a city set on a hill that says, we do relationships differently. We want to show you a different way of being human. Not slave owners and slaves and power and authority and I can do whatever I want with my property. No, we don't do that. We treat each other as family. We love each other differently. We'll use our power for the well-being of the powerless. We'll use our authority for the good of the needy. We'll use the relationships in our own household to build people up so that their character is formed in Christ, not just to get my own way so that my economic status and my honor is advantaged in town. No, we're different, and we make choices differently in how we use our power, our authority, and how we do relationships, and it has to be case-specific. And so there's Philemon in your Bible. So here's the point I want to leave you with from the book of Philemon. That reconciliation with Christ rewires your relationship with Christians. Reconciliation with Christ rewires, reframes, reshapes your relationship with Christians. You're not allowed to do relationships according to conventional wisdom. You're not allowed to do relationships with your fellow Christians the way everyone else does it. You need to do it according to the gospel. And the gospel lays down its life for others. The gospel says our relationship is more important than me being right. Our relationship is more important 
than my, my economic advantage. Our relationship is more important than my honor and their shame. Our relationship needs to be reconciled in Christ. The, the, the ministry of reconciliation that Paul talks about in Corinthians is embodied, not at a big, broad, general level, but at a very specific level between Onesimus and Philemon, between you and those you manage on the job, between your adult children and you and how you interact with them. How are we going to embody the self-sacrificial, self-giving love of Jesus amongst our fellow Christians so that we can show the world we do relationships different? We reconcile when wronged. We don't defend our rights. We don't defend our own way. We reconcile. We put differences aside, and we're going to treat each other like family. Paul is using his persuasive power and his authority in this way to ask Philemon to say, Philemon, how gospel-shaped is your household going to be? How gospel-shaped is your household going to be? Are you going to do it like everyone else? Are you going to do it like the rest of the world? Are you actually going to be like Jesus and lay down your life for the sake of Onesimus, who's now your brother in the Lord? So, Hill City Church, like the church at Colossae, you have a question to ask yourself. And that question is this. Who, who of my fellow believers maybe am I at odds with? Who is the relationship strained, not right? And how can I lay down my life like Jesus to make things right again? How can I give up my rights? How can I go against conventional wisdom to say, how could we repair this relationship and we receive each other like family? like brothers, like sisters, like family? How could I go about treating you like family if in my heart you've wronged me? Could I, could I do what Paul said and say, you know what, why not rather be wronged? Because the relationship is more important, right? Because your reconciliation to Jesus, when you come, when you are restored relationally to Jesus, guess what happens? You need to work that relationship out now with others who are also in Jesus. Because if you're one with him, you're one with her. And you're one with him. And you're one with him. And you're one with him. And you're one with her. So we need to figure out how can we take those relationships and embody the self-lowering, humble kind of love that Jesus showed us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the simple, very concrete, personal example of Philemon and Onesimus. And would you help us in our positions of power, in our positions of weakness, in our relationships, would you help us to embody this kind of humble love that says we do it differently. I will welcome you like a brother. God, give us insight and wisdom and grace to do relationships your way for your honor and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.